Well, welcome back, everybody. Uh, I'm Doug Flutie. This is the Flutie Flakes cast. And thanks again for joining me and hanging out with us. Uh, it's been a kind of an interesting little week in the NFL. COVID's running rampant. Games are getting postponed, moved all over the place. So many, uh, the, the sheer numbers has created extra issues for teams and filling up rosters and who's going to play and who isn't. And can we get another quarterback from another team? All these types of issues. Uh, that are going on as you're winding down a season that is looking towards the playoffs. Um, there are nine teams within one game of each other fighting for three AFC spots. Uh, it's really uh, everybody in the NFL, unless you're in Detroit, of course, everybody in the NFL is fighting for a playoff spot pretty much. So it's going to be a fun run down the wire. Uh, my teams that I always follow closely were a little scary this week because New England decided to to break their streak and not play well. And then uh, Tom Brady and Tampa Bay, oh, my goodness, they didn't score a point. First time Tom's been shut out since he was like 29 years old, which is what was that, 45 years ago? Uh, Tom, uh, they it was funny watching that game and, and seeing injuries happen. Not funny, but uh, as injuries happen and all of a sudden seeing how handcuffed uh, the Tampa Bay offense became uh, – but Chris Godwin uh, blows out an ACL. He's gone for the year. Mike Evans, hamstring. Leonard Fournette at tailback. Now, now he's a guy that's targeted probably as much as any wide receiver in the league. He's their number two target. Uh, he's got a hamstring. So now all of a sudden you're looking at a 44-year-old quarterback uh, with a defense that is not as strong as they were a year ago and without his three major weapons. Uh, he tried to lean on uh, Rob Gronkowski a little bit. Rob actually had a couple of drops in the game and Tampa Bay winds up getting shut out. And I was absolutely amazed at watching that game and, and the way it, tra it transpired. Uh, the, the good news is they have three relatively uh, weaker opponents coming down the wire, could still win those three games. I believe Mike Evans um, may be back soon uh with his hamstring but Fournette may be out for a week or two and obviously Chris Godwin gone for the year Antonio Brown looking to make a return they can still get weapons back still get it together still have the opportunity to make that run but it was just a very interesting twist of, of two teams that were on a roll looking forward moving forward and all of a sudden you know there's a bump in the road and like I said all the teams this coming week have a bump in the road all of them dealing with uh, the COVID rosters and, and moving people around, trying to figure out who's going to be eligible to play and who isn't eligible to play. And uh, it's, it's created a whole new uh, problem for NFL coaches. And, and it's what you do with your practice roster of, of the guys that are going to be around that are going to be available to you, how deep that can be, how quickly can a coach get a quarterback prepared and ready to play uh, all those issues are going to play into what teams wind up making playoffs and which ones don't uh, watch the Chicago bears on Monday night. It was horrible. It was uh, just very frustrating to watch. Uh, I believe Nagy will, will be on his way out. Um, the personal foul, what, what kills me is they didn't play that poorly from a physical standpoint and, and being able to go out on the field and compete, but personal fouls, frustration penalties, killing situations, not being able to compete and get into the, the situation to go win the game. They, they play hard enough to win a game, but you make these dumb mistakes. And that's what happens with losing football teams. With losing football teams, that becomes the weight of the world on your shoulder. And you just do things that maybe you normally wouldn't. 
you press a little too hard. Then when things don't go well, uh, you lash out and they pick up bad personal fouls at the wrong time. They turn the ball over. They just made mistakes. And I, I, I really, along with personal fouls, um, it's something that's really starting to frustrate me. And it's a pet peeve. And, and being a quarterback, maybe you wouldn't expect this of me. But I am tired of seeing a defensive end come around the edge. The ball gets thrown. He puts a hand on the quarterback and turns around and watches the pass and gets a 15-yard penalty for it. I'm tired of seeing a little bump, a little push. Now, I hate, as a quarterback, especially as a smaller guy, I hate it being grabbed after a play. I hate it when I, I throw the ball. I'm watching to see if it got caught, and the defensive end or defensive lineman will come free for a second. And they had a knack for running through you, popping you, giving you a hit, but holding on to you to keep you up so it doesn't look like they hit you hard. And it never got called, and, and, and it shouldn't get called. It's part of the game. Part of the game has always been a little bump here, a little push there, a little smack talk, a little. And now they're afraid to hit the quarterback. They're afraid to put their hands on the quarterback. You can reach for a pass. If, as the quarterback's throwing the ball and you miss the ball and your hand brushes a quarterback's helmet, you're going to get a 15-yard penalty. I don't know how these guys can play defense this way. I don't know how you play defense coming around the edge, trying to beat an all-pro offensive tackle, and you're rushing. Now, the effort involved in pass rush, is i mean it is all out effort they're making their move they're spinning they're twisting they're diving they just if they can get a piece of the quarterback as he's throwing the ball it's going to affect the throw it could be an interception it could be a sack it could be anything they're not allowed to hit the quarterback below the waist and they're not allowed to touch him in the head and you know it's especially at five nine i i duck a little bit how are these six foot seven guys not going to hit me in the head or a guy like Kyler Murray or a smaller, quicker, agile guy that they have to go after. We had uh, last week when Pickett was, was on, you know, he did the fake slide at college, you know, for Pitt and he did a little fake slide, stayed on his feet and went for a touchdown and everybody pulls up. Now I'm all for that because it should be part of the game that, that you can deke people out and move and pretend you're going out of bounds and run. But on the flip side of that, they should be allowed to hit you. I mean, you're a quarter, you're, you're, you're on the football field. You're a player. You're not, they don't have flag. If you want to do this, put flags on the quarterback. Go ahead. Put flags on him. The defensive, he'll pull a flag, little yellow flag up, say, Hey, I got him. He's down right here because it's really getting ridiculous. at some of the, some of the penalty calls. Now, Justin Fields last night went into a slide. He, he ran down inside the 10 yard line slid. And as he did his slide, he did a decent slide, but he was sitting upright. So his head is like three feet higher than maybe you anticipate. Defensive player trying to pull up. I still believe he was trying to pull up, but went ahead and hit him anyway. He started to pull up, gave him a little hit. And now because he sat up, he got him really good in the head, gets ejected from the game, and it's a 15-yard penalty. I That was a legit penalty because he he – he looked like he had the opportunity to pull up, decided to go ahead and take his shot. But I don't think he deliberately was trying to, to have like a kill shot, knock the quarterback out of the game, anything like that, where he got ejected. I think that happened only because when Justin Fields actually slid, he sat upright um, along these same lines. Now you flip it over to the defensive backs. You see defensive back on a ball thrown high down the middle. They have to decide whether they can hit this guy or not. They, 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 they're pulling off, allowing tight ends in a – these are balls. These are balls that back in the – you know, Kenny Anderson is my guest, and Kenny and I talk about the old days and throwing the football and things. 
it might, you didn't throw this ball. You didn't throw it down the middle when the safety was coming off the hash and breaking on a receiver, or if the linebacker was running, it was too tight a window. You don't throw it because you got to make that throw. You got to put the ball up high. You put it up high. He's, now if it's the end of the game, he's in the end zone. You got to try to score. You, you might put that shot up there, but you know, guys used to joke in practice when, when uh, in practice, they'd pull off those big hits let the guy catch the ball, kind of touch him and say, yeah, you know, you're, and then two of the DBs would run around like they have a stretcher, put the stretcher down in the middle of the field, roll a fake body over on the stretcher and run it off the field. Because that's what is going to happen in a game situation. Now they can't take those shots. And I know you're talking about defensive defenseless players, but it's changing the game way too much. It's changing the game where defensive backs don't know if they can take the, to dislodge the ball, you've got to lower that shoulder, hit somebody hard. Now, don't go for the head. Don't go for the kill shot. But now you, know, you throw that phrase defensive, defenseless player, and these guys got to pull off all these hits. Guys are making plays that, that years ago never would have happened. And I just think defensive players are in such a bind now. They've got to decipher you know, who, the, who the individual with the ball is. Is it a quarterback? Oh, I can't touch him. I can't hit him this way. That's not even, that doesn't enter your mind. Your, your mindset is strip the ball, knock the ball away, put this guy down, get him to the ground as quickly as possible. And the reason I get into all this is because it leads to the Chris Godwin play. Godwin catching an under route or a slant. He's coming into the middle of the field. In the old days, the defensive back would have lowered his shoulder, exploded into Godwin around chest high and tried to jar the ball loose to as he catches it or as he's running. Today, you can't do that because you might catch him in the head or it might be called a defenseless player and, and you get the 15-yard penalty. So what happens instead? Instead, you hesitate a step, let him catch the ball and then go low and make a tackle as he's catching it. And by going low, he's going at his knees. He catches him right in the knee, uh, flipped over. He's done for the year with an ACL. And I think what it is doing, I know the percu- uh, concussion protocol is a big deal in the NFL. They're fighting like hell to, to eliminate as many concussions as possible and be safe. But it's changing the game drastically. It's also probably going to lead to more of those type of injuries where guys are getting hit in the knees. Um, and it just is a, it's a frustrating thing because I, as a player, I had, I had two concussions with memory loss that uh, there's about an hour and a half of time that I don't even remember, but I watched film of it and, and saw it later. And it just, uh, as well as I'm sure a handful of minor concussions that, um, you know, that today you would probably still come out of the game for, um, I'm fortunate that I believe I still have my cognitive skills. I'm sure I'm getting older and I speak a little slower. Some things are a little rougher, but uh, I know that that is a major emphasis and it's something that we've all got to keep an eye on, but I just, they're changing the game way too much. Defensive backs are put in a position where they, they can't go make a hit defensive ends and and defensive linemen in general. Um, And I think it's, especially with receivers, it's going to lead to more leg injuries, more knee injuries with guys going low. All that being said, uh, my guest today coming up, uh, Mr. Kenny Anderson. Kenny Anderson, a five-time Pro Bowler, Cincinnati Bengals, played with Chris Collinsworth. Yes, Chris Collinsworth, the announcer. He was actually a football player. He was a wide receiver with the Cincinnati Bengals and a darn good one. Um, Yeah, I I thoroughly enjoyed talking with Kenny. And 
Hope you enjoy it. Hey everyone, Lindsay Rhodes here. And if you love football, you're going to love my podcast, The NFL Roadshow. With episodes Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we cover every NFL angle and talk to guests from across the NFL world, Hall of Famers, analytics nerds, and I say that lovingly as someone who wants to be an analytics nerd very badly, fantasy football experts, all of it. They're discussions you're not going to find anywhere else. So please, subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts or listen on the SXM app, included with most subscriptions. Well, I'm fired up because I get to bring in one of the guys that I grew up watching that I idolized and through the 70s as a little kid watching football, Kenny Anderson, a quarterback with the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, a league MVP, made it to a Super Bowl, five Pro Bowls, comeback player of the year, you name it, he did it. Uh, what's going on, Kenny? How you doing? Well, you know, I'm, I'm hanging in there, you know, excited for Christmas to be around all the grandkids and, you know, trying to get my back to hold up, you know, for another week. And, you know, I've got surgery. But you know how that goes. We, we've been hit a lot over the years. Yeah, you can lay down, just lay down on the carpet and play with the kids from your back rather than trying to sit up. Anyway, so home with the grandkids. And, and by the way, Kenny, I became a grandparent last night for the first time. Very oh, excited. congratulations. Grandson. Uh, there is no name, so we're calling him Nonami for now. <laughs> um, although Brady is in the running. Tom Brady, a good friend of mine. Okay. Anyway, let's go. Let's go over to uh, talking a little football because I was really excited about I, when I watched your teams play, you kind of reinvented the passing game and talk about the option route and how you guys developed that. Well, you know, uh, you know, I'm going to kind of start back and talk about reinventing the passing game. You know, my first quarterback coach in 71 was Bill Walsh. I had him for five years. So that was kind of the ground roots of the, the West Coast offense, of course, which became famous with, uh, you know, Joe Montana and with, with Steve Young. But you know, just the idea of using the whole field, not only vertically, but horizontally. And he was the first guy that kind of really focused on timing up the drop of the quarterback with the depth of the routes. So everything was a timing, you know, and you had a progression to go through. So, you know, we had high percentages, low interceptions, not many sacks. And, and then, you know, Bill left after when Paul Brown retired. Uh, and then, you know, we kind of struggled for a while. And then, Forrest Gregg came in in 1980, and we had an offensive coordinator named Lindy Infante, who was a great, great football mind. And, and that's where kind of the option routes came in. And, you know, we did a lot with uh, our tight end. Uh, you know, we had a, 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 a great tight end, Danny Ross from Northeastern, that was kind of the, you know, the, the prototype for what we tried to do. And, and, you know, and he just, you know, worked off of leverage, which way he's going to go in or out. And then we had you know, Chris Collinsworth as a rookie who was, you know, a, a pretty good wide receiver. And, and you know, and, and am I going to go to the corner? Am I going to go to the post? Am I going to sit? And, and so we had a lot of things that we put into it. And in 80, we, we were, I think we were only 6 and 10 in 1980, but we knew we were kind of grasping what Lindy wanted us to do. And then, of course, 81, we, we had our, our big year and got to go to a Super Bowl. Yeah, I was just uh, thinking back to some of those days in the Super Bowl. If I... When, okay, play calling, I've always, my whole career, when I got into two minute, I called my own plays because you're always trying to hurry up and get through it, right, get to the line right. of scrimmage. And I always thought the, 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 the faster you get the line of scrimmage, get the play, the play call itself wasn't the magic. The magic of the two minute was dealing with the clock and uh, getting going quick and get a lot of plays run. How'd you handle two minutes? 
Well, no, I, that was always, you know, on me. And, and, you know, you had a certain place that you wanted to get to in certain formations that you wanted to be in. But as far as what play was called, you know, that was going to be me at, at the line of scrimmage. And of course, as a quarterback, that's, you know, always, you know, fun. And because my whole career, they were, you know, basically called for me with, you know, with Paul Brown, it was a messenger guard system, <laughs> which was always easy. Yeah. Kenny, they, he said 68. Might have been 78, could have been 88. Ah, oh, hell, call what you want. Um, <laughs> you know, and uh, and then, you know, a little more sophisticated with, with Lindy, you know, and they would signal in the plays. And, and one of my favorite moments was our Super Bowl year. We were playing the Jets in Shea Stadium and the phones went out and the coaches booth were actually, you know, in the end zone because it was a baseball field, basically. So Lindy got up out of his chair, went out on the ledge of the press box. It was signaling. So I just watched him, you know, from the field signaling, you know, on the ledge. I said, oh, please don't fall off. See, that's I to me, that was I spent eight years in Canada in the middle of my career and came back. And during my Canadian day, they let me call the majority of my plays. And you had a feel for what was going on in the field. You know, you and if it got to I, I wasn't a master of the run game. So if it got to a situation where I wanted to run the ball, I'd ask the guys about you know, They know who they're beating up on and who's injured. And, all. and I just feel like that feel for what's going on on the field is missing from a quarterback. Well, you know, a, a little bit. And, and you know, and I, I, I coached 17 years after I played for 16. And I think some of it, you know, might be on the coaches that, you know, when you go and you come up with a game plan and things that you like. And I remember my, my three years in, in Pittsburgh with Ben Roethlisberger, you know, the wristband had over a hundred plays on it. I, I couldn't read it. You know, I was in charge of it. I'd have to blow it up so I could go and check it before we, we put it down on there. I don't know how we ever saw it, but you know, the more things that you have in a game plan, the tougher it is for a quarterback to get to all those things. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, one or the other, which one you want to do. Well, you talk about that. I, I, I played till I was 43 and I didn't really realize it, but my eyes were going and we had wristbands by then. And I'm trying to read a wristband in the huddle in the dark. And, you know, you step in the, I had to step outside the huddle, open it up, look. And I, I went to that. I, I, when I was in New England my last year, I had them in large uh -huh. wristband. So I, I, I'm waiting for the day a quarterback pulls these out of his pocket because Tom's there, <laughs> right? Pull the readers out. And, and look down and, and do the play call on the re how about this? Well, no, you talk about that i think it was 1972 uh was my first year as the starter and we played miami in cincinnati and bob greasy had started wearing glasses at that point <laughs> we caught him on a rainy day i think they were fogging up because we happened to win that game you go back to those days we were, we were talking i've I, i've had a lot of guests guys from the cfl things like that we, we end up talking cold weather games tell me about your worst cold weather game i know you guys had a nasty one well it was the the afc championship game the 81 season so it was january of, of 1982 but you know it, we knew it was going to be cold we we practiced we did more on saturdays uh with forrest greg as far as practice was concerned than most teams do on Thursdays. You know, we, we, we couldn't get away with it nowadays. And we went down to the stadium before the game and, and man, it was cold out. And, you know, I never slept really well. And so I was always up early and I, I go down to get a cup of coffee and a, and a paper. And I opened the front door of the hotel and was kind of blown back in. And, you know, we got down there and I think it was the, the temperature was something like 13 below, but with the wind chill, it was 59 below zero. Um, 
one of the great pregame talks of all time by, by Forrest Gregg, uh, before he went out there for the final time, he says, men, you know, it's going to be a lot like going to the dentist today. You know, it's going to hurt, but you got to go anyway. <laughs> that becomes a war of a tree. Did you see, what was it? The Patriots threw the ball three times. Who, oh yeah. Uh, Buffalo. Oh yeah. You know, it, it turns into a clock management thing where you're going into the wind and you just try to eat up the clock and run it and run as many places you can when the winds at your back. Um, looking forward. I mean, right now, Bengals, that division's a, a, a just a cluster right now. What do, what do you see out of the Bengals this year and Joe Burrow? Well, you know, I think we both know that you can't win in this league consistently without a quarterback. And the one good thing is the Bengals have their quarterback of the future. And I thought I read somewhere the other day that after the, the, the Denver game, that pro football focus rated him the highest quarterback in the league. Now, Collinsworth owns part of that company. That's yeah. biased <laughs> in that. I'm not really sure. But, you, you know, I, I think if you would have said before the, the year started that, uh, you know, come Christmas, the Bengals are going to be in first place in the AFC North. I think everybody would have taken it. And, and of course, now it's, well, you know, we got to let do, Burrow do more of this, do more of that, you know, whatever. We're in first place right now. And, you know, I don't think they have all the pieces yet. I think their skilled positions on offense are, are very good with Boyd and Higgins and Jamar Chase and C.J. Uzama's really come on as a tight end, and Joe Mixon is the real deal at running back. But, you know, the offensive line, I still think, needs to be solidified. And, you know, they've been without a couple of starters lately, and I know that's, you know, part of it. But I think they've got to address that in the offseason. The defense has shown that, that they can make plays and, and shut teams down. So I, I think we, ha we have the part. So it's going to be, you know, interesting coming up that uh, – you know, with uh, with this Sunday coming up, it's Baltimore coming into town. Now, they handle them pretty good in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson. So that'll be interesting. And then Patrick Mahomes comes into town and the, and the Chiefs, and they seem to be on a, a roll again. And then the last game of the year is in Cleveland, and Cleveland kind of manhandled them uh, a few weeks ago. So it's the last three weeks are going to be really interesting here in Cincinnati. It's all sitting right in front of them. They have their they handle their own destiny here in the division. So they've, it's really going to be fun. I, I love Joe Burrow. I spent some time with him in his college days and, and Heisman week and other things and love talking with him. Uh, seems like really sharp kid and, and obviously has all the tools. So I'm excited to, you know, hot and cold this year, but I really think, cause there's no one team. There's no one team that is dominant and, and can take over. No, I mean, you you know, you think, well, geez, it's going to be, uh, you know, Kansas City. Well, you know, they've shown some flaws over there. And all of a sudden, you know, how about the the Patriots? <laughs> you, you know, we're, you know, Mac Jones has done a tremendous job, you know, this year. But all of a sudden, then they stubbed their toe last week. Yeah. So it, it's, you know, who knows what's going to happen in, in, in the AFC. How about that difference? We'll talk. In our day, I don't know when you became the starter. How long were you in the league before you became a starter? Well, um, I, I actually, the, the third game of my rookie year, uh, I went in against Green Bay, Virgil Carter uh, fractured his collarbone. And so I, I got to start four games in a row then of which we lost all four. And uh, I remember after the, you know, I got hurt, uh, you know, pretty bad out in, uh, in Oakland in the, the third game that I was playing. And, you know, if I got hurt now, the punter is now the quarterback and, uh, so we had a big old offensive tackle named Ernie Wright picked me up by the back of the pants. He said, rookie, get your ass back in the huddle. You're all we got. So I finished out that game and I couldn't practice the next week. You know, I had a really a bad hip pointer and they tried to shoot it up before the game. It didn't work. And we, we lost that game. And, 
And uh, Paul Brown said after the game, well, Anderson, this is the fifth game in a row you've lost for us now. And so I'm glad Virgil came back that next week. But I won the job in 72 in training camp and started from there on out. But see, that's the way it was. When you were a rookie, you usually sat the bench. You were behind a veteran. You had a chance to learn and see how things go before you were really thrown into the fire, usually. And obviously, in that situation, you were thrown into the fire, maybe before you were ready and, and things don't work. These kids today, uh, although they have a lot more time spent with them during the offseason, other things to prepare them. Uh, I, do you think it's a little unfair to throw them right in right now? Uh, I mean, Justin Fields still struggling with Chicago and, and other guys that are Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville. Well, you know, the, the, the thing is that number one, you're a high draft choice because of a reason the team that you're going to is not very good. Um, you know, and then number two, you're making a lot of money. And, you know, I think they say now, you, you know, you've got, you got that window when they're on their rookie contract, you got to make hay while you can afford to play, pay other players. Hmm. So I, you know, I think that the theory now is throw them in and let them get their baptism, you know, under fire. And like I say, it's, I think a lot of them struggle, but all of a sudden you got this kid in new England, Mac Jones that, you know, and, and I, they've done a, a great job with him and, and what they've asked him to do. And, you know, of course, going up into the Buffalo and I, that brought back a lot of memories. And I said, we were still throwing the ball around the park. You know, when it was 59 below, they ran the ball or threw the ball three times nice. and won the game. So uh, that's pretty awesome stuff. Well, my, my theory was if you're going into the wind, you milk the clock as much as possible. You go for it on fourth down if you're fourth and two or less. Yeah. Uh, when you had the wind at your back, you might even, we had an 89 yard punt with like you had a 70 mile an hour wind. So it's like, Hey, we got the wind at our back. It's punt on first down. We'll change field position. We'll get the ball down there. Yeah. And you, you do things like that. But when you threw the ball into the wind, you throw between the numbers, right? Throw right. in the middle of the field stuff right here. The ball's in the air. I just, I still think there's a, a window there that they could have thrown the football or, or done things. Talking about play calling. I, we were, I, I wanted to bring this up too. If you had to do it over, you got third and one and fourth and one on the goal line. Super Bowl. You're down 21-7. Did you like your play calls or did you want to run something different? Well, you know, Pete Johnson hadn't been stopped all year. And, and if you remember, I think it was the third down call. We ran a play action pass. It was completed to, to Charlie Alexander. Uh, and he was just short of the goal line. So, you know, and then we went back to Pete, you know, again, and, you know, give them a lot of credit. You know, they stopped it. But, you know, it didn't boil down to that series. Uh, you know, I go back and it was as much me that they fumbled the opening kickoff. We had great field position and it's third down in the five yard line that the team that scores first, the odds are you win. And so we're going to trips to the left and we're picking outside in for Isaac Curtis to come underneath, got the exact coverage we wanted. I threw it to him and there's Dwight Hicks standing there. I go, where the hell did he come from? He, of course, they go down and score the first touchdown. And I saw him years later at a golf tournament. He said, oh, I'm surprised you're talking to me. I said, oh, yeah, I've forgotten about that game a long time ago. He said, well, just so you know, I blew the coverage on that play. I said, oh, now you tell me. <laughs> He's in the wrong spot, makes a you play. Know, but we had game. you know five turnovers that game. You know, uh, The uh, next year, we went down, and Collinsworth caught a pass and fumbled it on the 10-yard line. Then we, you know, we muffed two kicks right before halftime on, on kickoffs that uh, let them get, you know, another six points, which – it was the margin of victory. So it never comes down to the one play in a game. And we, you know, you, you can't play in a big game, have five turnovers and expect to win. Yeah. I, you know, I always go back. I had a 
I had championships up in Canada and playoff games as well, you know, and playoff games in the NFL. I always go back to the games that I lost. And I always think of those moments and what could have been different. And, you know, and obviously, you, a lot of times you can go back to four or five plays that make the difference in a game. But obviously, you can't turn the ball in those games. And uh, I just I know that those there's a couple of play, the, the one that sticks in my mind was in a game that would have taken us to a great cup. We we're playing in bad conditions and everything else. And I stepped up through the pocket and I had a running lane. I was about the 12 yard line going in. and I could have probably run it in. Instead, I saw a receiver in the back of the end zone through. DB from the other side of the field cuts across, picks it off. We wind up losing that game. Those are the plays that just stay in my mind. Yeah, you and, know, and, and that, that's true. But when you think about it, go back to all the big plays that you did make to win games and to win big games. But I think that's you know, the nature of us. It's it's always, you know, that, that one we lost that each at you. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, congratulations on going into the ring of honor this year. Uh, also, I know it's 40 years since you've retired. I still believe you're going to make it to the Hall of Fame and you belong in the Hall of Fame. Amazing career. Love watching you play. Thanks so much for joining me. Well, thank you. You know, you were a lot of fun for the rest of us to watch, too. You know, and, and I, I still remember that game against Miami down in the Orange Bowl. You know, that that never goes away. And so, no, it, it's just uh, it's been fun catching up with you. I mean, we've talked in the past mm. and it's, you know, I, I hope uh, and congratulations to you on a, a new grandson. Yeah, that's exciting. I didn't, I, I wasn't sure if I was bringing it up and I'm going to, and I'll talk about it, but we haven't named them yet. Right? He was born last night. They've indecisive. And uh, there's a lot of pressure going on the name because they may go with a name that adds a lot of pressure to it. I'll just leave it at that. Oh, okay. Maybe I'll tell, tell everybody next week. Uh, okay. Well, I, I said <laughs> one of the, the great moments for me was uh, uh, the night of the ring of honor. The, the Bengals were very gracious to give me a suite at, at the stadium. So all my grandkids got to be a part of that. So that was a very special night. You got well, a lot enjoy. of, you got a lot of fun times to look forward to boy. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Enjoy Christmas with the grandkids. Enjoy yourself and take care of that back. Great talking with you, Kenny. Thanks Doug. Merry Christmas to everybody. Coming up next, uh, Amon Ra, St. Brown wide receiver, Detroit came up with their first big win and, and catching the ball in the end zone and, and USC and just a really phenomenal individual. going to be a lot of fun to talk to uh, the entire St. St. Brown family, just amazing athletes uh, looking forward to talking with Amon Ra St. Brown. Hey everyone. It's Brad, the big noise Evans from the feed, the noise podcast from Monday through Friday. Catch me and the good sir, Nate Lundy, as we take it through each day's best sports betting opportunities, whether we're talking spreads, totals, props, or anything else, we will do our fade five to give you the knowledge and confidence to place your bets. Always remember fade or follow. That's up to you. Subscribe today, wherever you get your podcast or listen on the SXM app free for both subscribers. All right, everybody. Well, now I'm going to bring in Amon Ross St. Brown, wide receiver, Detroit Lions, USC guy. I actually got to know his brother, EQ, over at Notre Dame quite a bit. Uh, really excited for this guy. Things are coming together in his rookie year. 65 catches so far this season. Um, big touchdown a few weeks ago. How, how, first of all, how are you feeling? You guys have won two out of the last three. You're on a roll. What's happening? Yeah, I mean, we're playing We're playing pretty good right now as a team, I would say. Uh, you know, on offense, you know, limiting the penalties, I feel like we're executing well, um, throwing the ball around a bit, um, you know, completing passes, 
scoring touchdowns. Defense is playing great. So I think it was just a culmination of everything. We're playing pretty good football right now. Um, you know, last week in Denver, obviously, was a little hiccup. But other than that, I think we've been playing pretty good. And if we can keep that going, I think we'll be I think we'll be pretty good for the rest of the season. Well, it's exciting to see. And it's exciting to see you be a big part of it. Before we really get into football stuff, I got to talk a little family with you. I mean, you got two brothers that are great wide receivers, one over at Stanford, one that I spent a lot of time with around Notre Dame. I believe he's with Pittsburgh now. Um, you know, talk about the family growing up. I mean, your dad, wasn't he a bodybuilder? Yeah, so my dad was a bodybuilder uh, growing up. He, you know, won Mr. Universe two times, Mr. World three times. So that was his big thing. He was a, you know, big, big bodybuilder, was, was into lifting weights. So when we were younger as kids, um, you know, we started lifting weights at a young age. I would say I was about, you know, five or six years old. My other brother was six or seven, and then the other one was seven or eight. So we started at a really young age, um, just, you know, pumping weights. But it wasn't anything heavy. It was like um, PVC pipe, just getting the form down and everything until we got a little older until we can really, you know, lift some weights and whatnot. So we started lifting at a young age, got into sports at a really young age. We all play different sports, football, basketball, soccer. Um, and then once we got to high school, we just really started focusing on football. But, you know, we played a lot of different sports growing up, and our dad was really like our trainer. He did everything with us, you know, took us to all our games. After practice, was out there with us doing extra reps um, in the weight room with us. So he was really like our trainer. And then my mom was really, you know, she was tough on us on the academic side. She um, made sure we got all our homework done, uh, made sure we had good grades, brought home good grades. And that kind of stuck with us all the way throughout college, you know, hence my brother, you know, he went to Notre Dame, mm -hmm. other one went to Stanford and then I went to USC. So we all knew how, we all three knew how important, you know, education was and how, you know, football won't last forever. And you got to have something to fall back on when you're, when you're older. I mean, EQ was one of those guys, you step into a production meeting and, and we go in the production meeting, you talk Stanford, USC, Notre Dame. These aren't, uh, you're running the mill schools now. All you guys, I, it's like, I walk in the room with him and I'm, I got to have some intelligent questions or I'm going to feel like an idiot in this room. You guys, how about speaking foreign languages? You grew up, uh, did you grow up speaking German? Yeah. So my mom is actually from Germany. Um, so German was like our first language. She only speaks German to us, to me and my two brothers. So, you know, when you're a kid and you're a baby, you spend a lot of time with your mother, obviously your dad's working. So German was like our first language. We only spoke German to her. She only spoke German to us. You know, we'd go to her family, her parents, they live back in Germany. So, Every summer, we'd go to Germany, spend about a month or two with them. So, you know, Germany was like, it's like our second half. Um, so we spoke German with her and then spoke English to my mom. And then actually, we went to a French school growing up all the way until sixth grade. So it was a full French school. It was only one hour of English a day. When you're out in recess, you're speaking French to all the kids. You're speaking French to the teachers who are watching you. You're speaking French the whole time, unless it's that one hour period of English. So we went to school in France also. Um, which was pretty cool. Um, I was in third grade when I went, my other brothers, I think fourth and fifth. Um, and it was awesome. We spent a semester out in Paris, really got to immerse ourselves into France and language, uh, see the culture. It was, it was awesome. What were some, some favorite things about being in France? Uh, I would say just traveling. I mean, being able to like, France is completely different than the U S I would say in terms of like cars and transportation. Um, they don't really have too many, you know, most people don't have cars. They use the Metro to get around, to get to work. Uh, we walked to school every day, which was cool. We walked the same path every day. Um, you know, there's stores all around that are always open. Um, so it was pretty cool to just kind of be in that, you know, that different lifestyle. They don't, you know, one thing they do is they don't have school on Wednesdays. 
So that was something different. You actually have half a day off Saturday. So you don't have school on Wednesday when you have school on Saturday for, you know, half a day, which was a little different, but it was cool to have that in the middle of the week. That's I, I, I just, my, my thought process is this is a disciplined family that how, I mean, in general, I was a jock my whole life. I was, a, I did very well in school, but it was an effort, right? Yeah. But I was a jock. I, I wanted to be outside and just playing and going and the weight room was over. Yeah, I knew where it was, but I couldn't find the weight room. Someone had to open the door for me. I'd walk through, go out the other side. How did, the, I mean, the discipline, how does that translate? I mean, I know exactly how it translates, but I wanted to put, you put it in your words. How did that help you in your football career? Uh, I would just say with everything in general, football is very, you know, it's a, I would say it's a disciplined sport. You got to do a lot of things outside of the sport itself to be good, to really, you know, be where you want to be, whether that's, you know, on top of your playbook, whether that's lifting weights, whether that is taking care of your body because it's so physical. So I would say the discipline just comes into everything in football. And for me, it really helped, you know, putting in that extra work, knowing that where I want to be in life or in the sport and that's not just going to come from, you know, going to practice every day and going home. So my dad, I think, really instilled that in us is that hard work and how important it is. And, you know, like I said, taking care of your body, uh, making sure you're, you know, eating the right things, um, lifting weights, making sure you're taking care of your body because, you know, lifting weights really protects you when you're out there um, catching balls after practice, catching balls at home, um, you know, footwork drills, everything all together. I think, you know, that discipline that we had throughout our life that, you know, strict program, I think really just once we got older, we knew we knew what we had to do. And our parents didn't have to be as tough on us because we knew, you know, exactly how to how to get it done. Yeah, they set you guys on the path early. I, I just really I was very fortunate. I had Tom Coughlin. I don't know if you Tom. Tom was yeah. a head coach. OK, he was a very disciplined guy. And I had him as an offensive coordinator in college. It was the best thing that ever happened to me in my life because I became very disciplined. Uh, your dad has cane protein now. He's still big in the bodybuilding, or not bodybuilding so much, but workout fitness yeah, guy definitely. still. Yeah, so we, you know, he produced this this protein called cane protein that we've been taking since we were kids, but he never really, you know, he never sold it to the public. It was only just for us, for us to take, for us to, you know, get stronger, have an advantage on our on our opponents. Have your advantage. Yep, yeah. and then, so once we got older, he started, you know, selling to the, to the kids, to the teenagers, and man, they all started seeing crazy, crazy improvements. You know, we've been taking it for so long, so we never really thought much of it. But, you know, it helps, you know, kids gain five to 10 pounds when they're, you know, struggling to gain weight or whatnot. Um, obviously, you still have to lift the weights and whatnot. But, you know, the protein that, that he produced really, you know, helped us out as a young age. And still, even today, you know, we take it, um, helps us keep that weight, especially throughout the season when you, you lose five or 10 pounds just from running so much, especially as receivers, um, really helps us just keep the weight. Yeah, I, let's just transition back to football a little bit. I mean, you know, it was a rough year. It's been a real rough. Th I played for teams that were losing football teams. I played on championship teams. Explain the, the weight of the world feeling of being on your shoulders when things aren't going well and how <clears throat> you guys managed to fight past that and, and finally get it rolling. Yeah, I think it starts with the head coach. You know, our coach, Coach Campbell, I think, all the players, we all love him. Um, I mean, you know, the outside world, they just see the interviews that he does. But, I mean, he is a crazy guy, to, to say the least. Um, but we love it. We love him. Um, he's, you know, loves the team, loves football. We do everything and anything to win. Um, so I think it starts with him and then just permeates throughout the players. Um, we're a pretty young team, I would say. we got a lot of 
you know, young guys playing, a lot of rookies, a lot of undrafted guys, a lot of second year, third year guys. So for us, we're all out there trying to win, trying to do the best we can. And, you know, one win isn't just going to, you know, stop us or deter us because, you know, the, the season's so long. We're all so young. Um, so I think that's just what really what keeps us going. Um, each and every day at practice, we just try to get better each and every week. Um, and then once things like this happen, like when we played the Cardinals last week or beat the Vikings, I mean, that just gives you extra motivation, extra fuel to keep going. And we know we're so close to, you know, winning those close football games. We lost so many close games this year. Um, I think it's just, you know, just going to teach us throughout throughout the season, throughout next season, how to win those. And if we just keep pushing, I think we'll be fine. How about the last play of the game uh, to, to get your first win? What Explain what the play call was or what you were doing and how it, how it happened. Yeah, so that's a play that we've been working out, working, I mean, running since since camp. You know, those end-of-game situations that you practice, you never know what's going to happen. You know, last play of the game, you're in the, you know, red zone, fringe area, um, and you got to get in the end zone. So that's a play we've been working for so long, and, you know, they finally called it, you know, what, 13 weeks into the season. So um, it's actually, you know, the outside receiver, which was me, I have, a, I have an in-breaking route, um, and the, the teaching point on that was just to get in the end zone because there's four or five seconds left. If you catch it in bounds, you have no timeouts, uh, game's over. So I have to make sure I catch it in the end zone. That was the biggest thing. The guy inside of me has, like, a through route. So basically his job is just to take that player who's in front of him, take him out of the play if he can. Um, if he drops him, then he might get the ball, so you never know. But, you know, Khalif on our team did a great job of taking that guy out. Our tight end, and the, you know, who's – TJ, he's just sitting over the sitting over the ball, making sure he's getting in the end zone. Um, he's, I think, second read in, in that play. Um, if it doesn't go to me, it's going to him. And then backside, you just have a flash route. So he's getting to the back of the end, end line, running for five steps, coming back out to the back pylon. So the play worked perfect. Um, the, actually, the DB was playing like four, four yards off in the end zone, which I was surprised at. He gave me all that room. And then as I broke in, there was actually nobody there. So I was just sitting there waiting for the ball, and it felt like an eternity. I was going to say. Yeah, I was like, just hurry up and get to me. And it was perfect. Uh, Jared threw a great ball, and the rest is history. So no, See, when you have time to think about it, that's when, when you can do the double clutch. You caught a clean? Yeah, I caught a clean, yeah. I, and the other thing I talk about all the time, you know, coaches get caught up in game planning, right? Every week they look at these covers, they draw stuff up for it. When the game is on the line, I want something I know like the back of my hand. I want something I've run a thousand times, no matter what the coverage is. I know where I'm going with the ball. And it sounds like you, you practice this every week in that red zone area, that fringy area. Yeah, that's a play. Like I said, we've been practicing since camp. Um, and I, the funny part is I wouldn't say we had the best success with it <laughs> in camp. Uh, you know, some of us were like, ah, I don't know if this play is going to work. And then, you know, once they called it, it was exactly how they drew it up. So. You know, some things actually don't work the way they do in practice and they work in the game and some work in practice and don't work in the game. So it's funny how football works, but it was it worked out perfect um, and, you know, couldn't draw it up any better. And then you guys go beat Arizona this week, right? Arizona is supposed to be one of these great teams this year, has a chance to make a run at it. Uh, what what is the difference? What was the feel on the field I, I, you know, going into it? Is there a confidence level that wasn't there earlier? What's going on? Um. You know, it's tough, tough to answer. I would just say, you know, even even us as a team, we had a lot of guys down, you know, COVID and whatnot, a lot of injuries. And, you know, we still didn't – we didn't flinch. Um, we went into that week. You know, we practiced hard on Wednesday and Thursday, actually really hard. Um, and then Friday kind of took backed up a little bit. 
Saturday, the day before the game, you know, just walk through. So we practiced really hard that week. We knew that, you know, Arizona had a chance to go to the playoffs, go to the Super Bowl and whatnot. They're a great team. But, you know, sometimes it feels like teams that are, you know, that good and they're playing such a team like us that doesn't have a great record that's been losing all year. They kind of, you know, don't take it seriously. And Jared told us in the huddle, I remember I think it was on a Friday or Saturday, that he was playing the Jets last year and they were, I think, only had won one game or, or had zero wins at the time and they lost to the Jets in New York. So, you know, any of them on Sunday, it can happen. And for us, our mentality was just to go out there and we can kind of sense pregame that, you know, the Cardinals, they weren't, they didn't really have any juice. Um, they were quiet. They were, you know, lacks of days ago. Feel like, felt like they just want to get in and out. So we were out there. We got in the locker room pregame. Coach talked to us and whatnot. We got out there. And I think we just started, you know, clicking as a team, as an offense, as a defense, special teams. Um, I think they just feed – that just feeds off each other. Offense makes a – you know, we score early. Defense is excited. I think, you know, we had a field goal the first drive, but we took like eight minutes off the clock. And as a defense, that's just, you know, they love that, um, being able to play you know, not being on the field so long, being able to get everything they got when they're out there. Um, and like I said, everything just worked out. Jerry was throwing great balls. Our running backs were running hard. We were blocking out there. Defense was playing great. Colin Murray, you know, he runs everywhere. And we had a, they had a great plan for him. Uh, special teams, I mean, they had a tackle in like the 15-yard line kickoff. So everything just started going the way we wanted. We got a pick. And I think after that pick, it just really turned around for us. But it's getting to the end. Of the, you said it earlier. It's a long season. I mean, I, I when I played, college football was an eleven game season, and you get a bowl game, so yeah. max twelve games. And it, it was, the, how's this feel to you? Does it feel like it's been a long year, and you got another three? And how's that? How's your body holding up? Yeah, you know, surprisingly, you hear about the rookie years, your longest year, because you know you have. Right after you have your college season, you start working out and preparing for the combine or your pro day. Then after that, you have rookie mini camp or you have the draft. Then you have rookie mini camp. Then you have OTAs and then you have camp. Then you have the season, which is the longest season ever. So and this season actually is the longest season ever in the NFL with an extra game. But for me, honestly, I would say it hasn't been that bad. Um, you know, I would say this season actually flew by, you know, three weeks left. And I still can't believe it because I remember the first game, my first preseason game going out there. Um, I knew exactly how I felt and everything. And now just having three weeks left, it's actually crazy. But uh, for me, I would say it flew by. You know, it wasn't bad at all. My body feels great. I don't have really any any injuries, luckily, knock on wood. Um, but, you know, that's just that's just me. I know there's a lot of other rookies out there. That are like, well, I see. Take me forever. Your mental discipline and the, the type of student you are and the, that tar that plays into it. It's hard for a lot of guys. It's hard. The mental part of the game, what was the toughest mental part of this of, of this season, like when you're learning game plans and whatnot? Was any of that difficult for you? Uh, I would say early on. So when I first got here at Rookie Minicamp, um, you know, I came at USC. I came from an air style, air raid offense, which was, you know, not you don't carry too many plays. You have a lot of the same play, you just dress them up differently in different formations. And, you know, I knew that play with like the back of my hand. So once I got to to Detroit, it was really, you know, pro-style offense. You had a lot of different formations, a lot of different plays, you know, run blocking assignments. So definitely, you know, I would say it was, it was a lot for me when I first got there, but I knew it was nothing I couldn't handle, you know. Um, whatever, whatever anyone throws at me in my head, I'm like, I know I'm smart, um, probably smarter than the guy next to me. Uh, I've done it, you know, my whole life. I got good grades and it's hard to get good grades your whole life. So <laughs> I knew I'm a smart kid and I just don't let it, you know, get to me and I know I can handle it. So 
once I got to, you know, once during camp, I really started getting it down. First week, preseason wasn't too bad. And then, you know, once the season started, I was fine because, you know, once it, once you game plan for a team, you really reduce the playbook. You only have so many plays that you're going to run that game. So it really wasn't bad for me at all. But I would just say the playbook was was something when I first got here was was kind of a lot for me. Well, that's an advantage that you have because that becomes the, the part that separates the guys that have great careers are consistent the consistency thing that all plays into it the guys that can prepare week in and week out are the guys that are consistent the guys that last a long time uh you your brother you phenomenal family i love being around your family i spent the time at, at notre dame around them and it's really been a joy watching what do you like to do off the field uh off the field i love video games uh i actually have my little my little game set upstairs <laughs> um i play call of duty NBA, 2K, FIFA, really depends what, what I'm in the mood for. So I love video games, um, love hanging out with friends, obviously, um, you know, spending time away from football, I think is so important, especially in this business um, with the media and everything, you know, you can't really get away from it completely, but when you can, you know, I like to get my head off of it, hang out with friends, uh, hang out with family, listen to music. Now, you know, I like to dance every now and then, you know, when I've scored, I have to break out my little dance, so. Love to dance, um, but those are, yeah, though I would say those are the yeah. things that I love doing. Well, so before we went on there, I don't even know how we got into the topic, but so Sega Genesis NHL 95 is not your go-to game. No, no, <laughs> we, were not at all. we were talking, because everything's online now and everything's interactive and you can play with everybody else now. The first kind of interactive thing was when Sega came out with a four-way controller and you could actually four guys play together at the same time. It was like, that was awesome. And so you get that feel, but it, yeah. it's uh, obviously a whole different world now. And the, we were talking about all the That's funny. Oh, uh, yeah. All the graphics and all that. You guys, I tell you what, you can actually learn football from playing some of these games. You Seriously, learn fronts yeah. and coverages. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's crazy. Anyway, uh, thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it. You're, you're going to have a great career and your whole family. I just uh, love being around your family in my years at Notre Dame. And wish all the best to you, your brothers, and uh, keep it going. Stay healthy. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Well, I want to thank my guests, Amon Mara St. Brown and uh, Kenny Anderson for joining me today. A lot of fun talking. I, I especially, I love talking the old days with Kenny. I don't know. That's just what I do. I'm, I'm officially old. I enjoy talking about the old days. Anyway, let's get on to the Twitter and uh, see what the questions are out there. Cliffy, what do we got? All right. First one, Doug, what would be your thoughts on a Tom Brady versus Bill Belichick Super Bowl? I think it would be the most hyped Super Bowl ever. Uh, people would have a field day with it. And the fact that both got well, I, I, I think Tom being in Tampa now would enjoy it a little more and just play with it and have fun and not care. Uh, obviously, he cares about winning because that's all he's about. But um, I think Bill would just still stay tight-lipped and just be Bill Belichick. And, and, but I think the rest of the world, the rest of us in, in the football world, would have an absolute blast with that all week long, two weeks long, whatever it is. And uh, that would be just so much fun. It's going to be tough. You got a rookie. You know, a fun part of it would be the rookie quarterback and the old guy in the league, too, uh, going at quarterback. That's a whole other aspect of it. And they know each other so well. It's it would be a fun it would be a lot of fun for for us that were New England fans for a long long time, it would be a lot of fun. Uh, there'd be a portion of the the country out there that would hate every minute of it. Are there any Flutie family holiday traditions? 
I think uh, the number one is the, and I don't know how it got going. We, we would have a holiday party where um, the entire family would come over the house and it became bigger and bigger and bigger. I think we had over 70 people this year and uh, it's just a lot of fun. We do do the um, grab or white elephant where everybody just pulls a number and rotates gifts and a lot of trading, a lot of fighting going on over gifts, over the, the most marginal little gift. Somebody loves this cup because it's got a llama on it and somebody loves this other thing because it's whatever color. And uh, you know, at the end of the day, at the end of Christmas, it's like the number 10 list on, a gift on their list, but uh, it, it turns into a lot of fun. We all get together. It's become very traditional and uh, I love every minute of it. The other for me is I have to watch the Grinch. I have to watch the original Grinch that stole Christmas back in college, Gerard Phelan and I knew that inside and out and we would play it all night long on Christmas Eve. We would play it. Uh, it was usually during finals week. So it wasn't Christmas Eve. It was during finals week, beginning of December and we would play the audio of the Grinch that stole Christmas out the dorm windows. What are your least favorite Christmas songs? And what is your favorite to follow that up? Least favorite. Um, there are some that I really don't, I, I don't get. Dominic the donkey as a Christmas song. I, he's an Italian Christmas donkey, I guess, but it, it just didn't make sense. I didn't know it was a song until my wife introduced it to me years ago. I'm like, really? Um, but my all-time favorite, all-time favorite has got to be Bruce Springsteen, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, live version. Um, he's giving Clarence a hard time about uh, getting him a new saxophone, practicing real hard, so Santa will bring him a new saxophone. And then they go into a rocking version of Santa Claus is Coming to Town, all-time favorite. And that wraps it up. Well, thanks a lot, Cliff, for the uh, Twitter questions. Guys, keep those coming, because that's a lot of fun. Usually I can get into some stories and whatnot, and maybe uh, – reach some personal moments that, that, that I don't usually get to off of the questions. So keep those questions coming. Remember, you can get the Flutie Flakes cast on Apple, Pandora, and Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to rate and review. The Flutie Flakes cast is a part of the SiriusXM podcast network. The executive producer is Tom Kress. The associate producers are Denny Gallagher and Cliff Augustin. Special thanks to SiriusXM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. Thanks again for listening to the Flutie Flakes cast and join us again next week. SiriusXM Podcasts.